It's good to see each one of you here tonight. I uh, was reflecting a bit on last night, and I just want to want to say that I sense the Spirit of God here. I, I appreciated your attentiveness. Um, when you stand in front of a congregation and you look back over the people, you can tell that there are those who love the Lord, seeking after God. And I was warm last night by uh, your attentive to the, to the Word of God. I sometimes look back on my message I shared, what, what came forth from my heart, and I want it to be refreshing. I don't want to ever, uh, I don't want my words to come across to you as burdensome, but as challenging and drawing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I had someone come to me recently with a challenge to my preaching, and I want to invite any of you, you're sitting here, you have a responsibility. I don't always get it right. And you have a responsibility to come and, and challenge me. I want you to feel free to do that. And this particular brother said, it seems like in your preaching, you call us to holiness. You call us to holiness. You call us to holiness. Isn't there some kind of a balance to all of that? And so I've meditated on that, and I appreciate those kind of challenges. But I meditated on that a bit, and <clears throat> I, I look at Scripture because I think that there's nowhere else that we can really go to for solid answers. And uh, this is what God says. He says, I'm a holy God, and I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy. Um, without holiness, no man shall see me. Those are pretty weighty words, aren't they? And that calls our hearts to take God seriously, and we need to take God seriously. But here's the thing that we need to understand, and this is very, very important to understand, is that we never achieve holiness by trying to achieve holiness. Did you got that? We achieve holiness by following after Jesus. Okay, and is the world a difference in that? I spent time on the phone the other week, last week, with a young man who I've spent a lot of time with, a father, he has a family. He's not a part of his church right now because of failure in his life. And he wants in the worst way to be a part of the church. He grew up in a setting where being part of the church, having the, the blessing of the church leadership was the most important thing. And he has a passion to be a part of the church. And I said to him, you'll never, you'll never experience victory in your life until your relationship with Jesus Christ is more important to you than being a part of the church, than having the approval of the church leadership. You'll never do it. Just mark it down. You will never achieve victory in your life by trying, rolling up your sleeves and trying to achieve it. It's about relationships. And we have to understand that in a very deep way because what happens when we understand that is there's this deep rest comes across our hearts, our souls, till we stop striving in our strength and we learn to walk in his power. Is that making sense at all to you? I wish I would learn this years before I did. I, I worked so hard, so hard to be what I believe God was calling to be. And it wasn't that he wasn't calling me to be that. But we have to arrive there through a relationship and not through our strength and our energy and our own goodness. And so I just want to say that if I come across this week as preaching holiness, it's because I believe God calls us very clearly to holiness. There was a time when God winked at things. He does it no more. He commands men everywhere to take sin very seriously. 
to draw near with full assurance in the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and to walk in relationship with him. The relationship that was lost in the garden has been restored, spiritually restored to us through Jesus Christ, through his death, through his life, through his resurrection. Last night we talked about how important it is that we are, what was that word? That word that in the Old Testament it describes revival, almost said it. What was that? Quickened, everyone together. Quickened, very good. So we, we want to be quickened, that's made alive. And we talked about the fact that we need outside resources. Uh, it's, it's a law that is written in all of nature. I walked by the vineyard of the slothful man, and I beheld. And what did he behold? He beheld that the field was covered with nettles and with uh, invasive species, and the stone wall was broken down. And I noticed, and I learned this one thing, that if there is not outside energy poured into anything, it falls into disorder. That's a God, God wrote that law, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way it is in our spiritual lives. And Jesus Christ is the only source of life that can restore and bring order to our spirits. And so we go to him, and we walk with him in relationship with him. Tonight, Thank you for those, those thoughts, Brother Nelson, on the grace of God and the abundance of grace of God. Someone recently told me, or maybe I read it somewhere, that the grace of God is so abundant, it's like trying to water a wilting daisy with the Amazon River. And I just kind of like that, a little bit along the lines of what you were saying tonight. You know, the abundance of, of God's grace is just overwhelming. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, tonight I want to just draw our hearts to... Uh, something that I think is so important as we seek revival in a continual way with the Lord. Let's turn it to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, I, I, I sense this need in my own life, and I sense it in the needs, in, in, in a need in the brotherhoods in our Anabaptist circles um, to catch this vision, or perhaps I would say renew this vision of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being front and center to all that we do. Um, it's, it's so easy to forget the importance of our redemption, the cost of our redemption. And we never want to stop standing in awe of what Jesus has done for us. It's so easy to allow the cares of life, the disappointments of life, to draw our eyes off the realities of our redemption. And so what I want to do tonight is just take us through some scriptures that just have washed my spirit, and I trust that it can encourage yours in some way to bring Jesus back into focus in your life. Because there's so many things, like I said, that just want to steal that focus. And we fail to stand at all to really place our confidence in Jesus for the salvation that he has brought to us. And so we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 15, and... I'll just read the first 12 verses. Follow along in your Bibles if you don't mind. I would appreciate that very much. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he has already shared with them all that he wrote in the first 14 chapters. And then we come to chapter 15, and his first word is moreover. And it's a very significant word. Uh, it's like, okay, I, I've shared my heart to this point, but now I'm going to share something more that is over and above, and it is like the main theme that explains why I shared everything else to you up until this point. 
And so that word moreover is a very important word in understanding what follows in these verses. So think about it that way. And he comes back to uh, the very theme in verse 3, and he says, you know, I'm, what I'm sharing with you is the very top priority in the doctrines that we need to understand in our hearts and live out in our lives. The very primary, most important truths concerning Christianity. So let's read the first 12 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved if, if, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there is no resurrection from the dead? We're going to stop reading there. I would love to go on and just continue to read because there are so many powerful truths that come from Paul's argument. As he goes on to say that if you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, uh, if we have hope of if Christ in this life only, we are of all men most what? Most miserable. That's right. And we have no hope. We believe in vain. There is no hope for us apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say some powerful truths that are such a great blessing. And one of them is this, is that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And that ties back, of course, to Leviticus 23, where they had the uh, the feast and, and the feast of the first fruits, where you went out and you took a heart, you took the very first grain that was ripe, and you brought it to the priest, and he would wave it before the Lord. And you know when that happened? It happened on the first day after the Sabbath. And what was it a symbol of? It was a symbol of the fact that it belonged to God. The first fruits belonged to God. It was dedicated to God. But it was a sign that there was a harvest out there that was going to be harvested. There was going to be a harvest. That was a sign. More important than that, it was a sign. It was a type of Jesus Christ. How was the first fruit of the first fruits is, is how this actually reads in the original. He was the first fruit of the first fruits. And we could go back, and I would love to take time to do this sometime, but, but what happened when 
Jesus died on the cross and the graves were opened. How hard is that to believe? It happened. We know that because it says so in God's word in, in, in the book of Matthew. The graves were opened. And when Jesus came out of the grave, what happened? Other people came out of those graves that were opened as well. They were saints of old. And they actually talked with people. These things are hard to believe, aren't they? Hard to wrap your mind around that? It is. We have to accept it by faith. It's the word of God. We know what happened according to the scriptures. It happened. And then I believe that when Jesus ascended, I believe those saints went with him. And I believe that they're waiting there in a place of glory in the third heaven, waiting. They won't be perfected. We will all be perfected together, Hebrews says. The Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, we will enter into the glorious heaven of heavens, into God's kingdom together. Though they're not there yet, they're waiting for us. We will all together be perfected at the same time because of Jesus. But he is the first fruits. And everyone that dies in Christ today, in 2021, 2022, whenever your time is up, there needs to be no fear because Jesus Christ has shown us, he has revealed to us through the power of his resurrection that all those that are being harvested in Christ through death until the Lord comes again, they are caught up to be with the Lord. And someday we will ever be with the Lord altogether. And what a glory that will be. That is the rest of that chapter. But I just want to come back to uh, the first part of, of this and just look tonight at how the, the message of resurrection was so uh, front and center to the early Christian church. Paul was, um, we could read in, in, in Acts, um, Acts 18, that Paul was, at Mars Hill, given that great uh, sermon that he preached at Mars Hill, and, and people mocked him, and they mocked him. Why did they mock him? It was because he was talking about what? The resurrection. He was talking about the resurrection. And they mocked him, and so he moves on and ends up um, at Corinth and establishes a church at Corinth. Um, and we can read that, I think, it's in, in Acts 18, how he came there and he preached the resurrected Jesus Christ. We live in a day when uh, the resurrection is something that we just kind of talk about over a certain Sunday. Is that right? Just about one Sunday a year we talk about the resurrection. Um, the early church believed that the Lord Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, and that became the day when the saints gathered together and that every Sunday morning was a celebration of the fact that Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. And my concern in my own heart is that we've kind of removed the center focus of the gospel message into uh, our peripheral vision rather than having it the passion of our heart. And I want it to be the passion of my heart. I want to make the, the life of Jesus the very center of my experience with my walk with God. It's foundational to our Christian faith. And so the problem that they had here in, in Corinth that we would read in verse 12 was that there was the Sadducean influence had come in and were, was beginning to raise uh, doubts about the whole idea of Jesus actually raising bodily from the grave. Because if I believe that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, here's the thing. I have to believe that when, when the voice of God sounds that my body, though it may be eaten with worms and lying in the grave, will actually be drawn up out of the grave and I will meet the Lord 
and that he will give me a new body. A, a, it's going to be an immortal body. My, my spirit, my soul that has been with the Lord, waiting for the redemption of my broken body that's in the grave. Again, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my eternal spirit will be joined to that new body. And so I will be with the Lord. It'll be different, Paul says. It's going to be maybe a likeness, but different. It's like you plant a kernel of corn in the ground. What do you get? A kernel of corn? No. You get a stock of corn, right? You plant an acorn in the ground. What do you get? You get an oak tree. You don't get an acorn. You get an oak tree. Eventually, you'll get acorns. But you'll get an oak tree. And, and that's what Paul's argument is through the rest of this passage. Is you have to believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't have hope of the fact that you too will rise up again someday and that you're going to have this body, a new body, that, that, that Jesus Christ is indeed, when he died on Calvary and when he rose again, he assured to us that there's going to be a redemption of all things, that this world is going to be remade. It's going to be cleansed and remade. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. And in that new heaven, that earth is going to be righteousness. And it's going to rule and reign forever. This is the guarantee that that will happen. And so we must believe it. And we must preach it. I, I'm just blessed tonight. Is it Jason? Uh, there you are, brother. Jason, is that right? Justin. Thank you. I almost got it. Got the first letter right. Justin was leading a prayer meeting tonight. And he was talking about Miriam Shawwater. And the miracle of healing that she experienced, I just really appreciated your um, just a simple faith to believe that God could do that. So I want to bless you for that, brother. I, I, I share that. Here's why I share that. Let me, let me go on. Can I go on a rabbit trail a little bit? Two years ago, maybe just a little over two years ago, uh, we were busy. We were away. I think we were doing some meetings. We got home, and uh, this was like on a Monday morning. And we hadn't eaten Sunday night. Um, my wife had missed a couple meals, and she has to be a little careful with that, with her, that she doesn't get her sugar too low. And she came out. I was sitting here at 5.30 in the morning. I was sitting in, in the, the chair in the living room reading my Bible. And, and my wife was out at the kitchen working, fixing the breakfast for me. That's what she does every morning. She gets up early. She fixes breakfast for me. And she was here working at the sink. And... The kitchen cabinets are like an L. She's working here at the sink. And all of a sudden she says, John. And I looked up just in time to see her fall. And she fell sideways down past the set of cabinets. And her head hit right on the corner. And it whipped her neck like that as she fell past. And I rushed over to her. I cried out to the Lord. She was out cold. And she started to come back. I was my, Our daughter came running out of the bedroom. I said, call 911. And she came to and she said, don't call 911. It's just so much like her. Don't call 911. So I, I, I worked with her a little bit there. She came back too. We got her something to drink. And we put, got her over to the sofa and her neck just hurt really, really, really bad. And I quickly called uh, John Strigler. He's a close friend of ours, almost like a son to us. He's a PA, works at a family practice. And I called him on a cell phone and said, John, here's what just happened. What would you recommend? And by that time, she was starting to uh, throw up and just feel really miserable. He said, get her to the ER now. She's got spinal injury. And uh, I took her to the ER, and they did uh, uh, MRI. They did a CAT scan, x-rays, and they came to me, and they said, um, 
we've got a real serious situation going on here. They said her C2, which is called the hangman's vertebrae because it breaks so easy. Back in the days when they hung people, that's what snapped was your, was your C2 vertebrae. They said it's broke. But more concerning than that, we can fix that. More concerning than that is the fact that the main artery right next to it was kinked and it now has a bulge in it that could, it's like an aneurysm and it could ex just explode at any time. And if it explodes, she has less than a minute. It's guaranteed death. And they said, what we want to do is right now we're taking her back and we're going to run dye through her, her veins just to make sure that we know for sure that we are seeing what we think we're seeing on the CT scan. And they rushed her off to do that. They brought, uh, they came back, they got me. They said, look, without a doubt, we've got a very, very serious situation on our hands and we need to get her down to Hershey. There's a specialist down there and it's the only person we know that can deal with this. They said, I said, okay, can I drive her there? They said, absolutely not. Amulets, absolutely not. And while that doctor was talking to me, I heard Lifeline coming in. It was, it was one of those moments you wonder what God's doing. But you choose to believe. Say, God, we're in your hands. We don't know what this is about. We trust you. And I was keeping my family informed. I was keeping her family informed. I put out a call chain message to our church for a prayer chain. I found out later that a lot of other people did the same. I found out that there were even Protestant friends, believe it or not that put it through their church call chains. Within minutes of knowing that uh, we were headed for Hershey, there was a crew there stabilizing her for the flight. And I don't think it was 15 minutes. I was standing outside the hospital watching that, that bird lift off. Tears rolling down my face. I ran and jumped in our van and I took off for Hershey. I arrived down to Hershey probably um, less time than it should have taken me to get there without a doubt but I think it was something like 35 or 40 minutes after after the, the, the helicopter lifted off for them it was uh, they had headwinds and it took them longer than normal but within 14 minutes she was pushed into the trauma um, ER surrounded by a team of 12 doctors and, and assistants prepping her for, sur for the surgery on the uh, rupture in the neck vert uh, main artery first of all the first thing they did was to rerun the CT scan to make sure they knew exactly what they were going after when they did the, the surgery and they reran the CT scans and they could not find the rupture and so I did not expect to see my wife for hours while she was in surgery and recovery but a gentleman came out to me and said would you like to see your wife I said yeah he said, you may see her. They're moving her now to the CCU unit on the third floor. And you can accompany her to her room. And I went and I accompanied her to her room on the third floor of the CCC unit. And it was a while before a doctor came in. He says, we don't know what to say. But all we can say is at this point, um, there's been a change in, in the condition. And there's no need for surgery. 
Uh, I said, so what does that mean? Well, he said, you'll still be here for at least four days. We have to make sure the C2 vertebrae is stabilized. The next morning, they took an x-ray. At 9 o'clock in the morning, they took an x-ray. At 9.30, I could see out through the, the window, there was a, a group of about eight or nine doctors talking, looking at these x-rays. And one of them came over to us and said, um, we don't know how to explain this, but there's been two months' worth of calcium deposits that have developed on the break in that vertebrae overnight. All we can say is that at this point, we all feel comfortable discharging you today yet, if you would like. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, we don't know how to explain it. He said, no way you can get that much healing in less than two months. So we went home. And I, I was like ecstatic. Like, this is God. I don't deserve this. Sometimes God just does things like this to help us understand what he can do for us spiritually, which is far more important. Which is most important? A miracle in your physical body or a miracle in your spirit? Which is more important? In your spirit. Because a miracle in your physical body is only going to last for however long you live. Two, three, four, five, six. It don't matter how long you live. That's not what's important. What is really important is have you healed in your spirit? Have you been healed? Have you left the master physician touch your spirit with the reality of his resurrection power? Are you healed in your spirit? That's what's important. And I found it very interesting. People, yeah, even people in our own brotherhood, like, really? And one brother said, you know, I think what you need to do is take those x-rays to another doctor and get another opinion. I said, why in the world would I do that? I don't need another opinion. I'm just absolutely amazed at what God did because I'm so undeserving. Of it. We don't deserve this. We're no better than anybody else, but God just chose, like he does sometimes, and like he did with Sister Miriam, to touch her bodies and to heal them. Two months later, we went down to see her surgeon for a checkup. And the surgeon said this. She was a lady, um, very... Very nice lady. First time that I actually met her, she put up the x-ray, Monday's x-ray, and she put up Tuesday morning's x-ray on two big computer screens. She said, I want to show you something. She took her pen and she said, you see how white it is on this break? She said, it takes two months. Always just standard. You would expect to see that after two months of healing. Not overnight. It's been two months since these x-rays were taken. And she said, routinely, I hear doctors in Hershey talking about this. Who gets the glory for that? She said, she said, it's a miracle. A woman that you wouldn't expect to hear that from said, this is a miracle. And yet we as Christians have a hard time saying this is a miracle. And tonight what I want to set forth is I don't ever want to stop talking. I almost stopped talking about what God did for us because some people find it really hard to believe. Is it strange that people would find it hard to believe? Not really. I wish they wouldn't, but we're just natured that way. We're just natured that way. It's just hard for us to accept the fact that God is 
like that. That he actually loves his people to the point that sometimes he touches your physical body to show you what he can do to your spirit. We're just like that. We think it somewhat strange, amazing, that God would actually have power to raise up the dead. This was front and center theme in the lives of the early church. And they had power in their lives. And we need to, by the grace of God, regain that power in our lives. And so uh, I've taken a rabbit trail and used up a lot of time. Let's just do this. Let's just do this. Let me just share with you some scriptures that prove to my heart that uh, what Jesus wants to do is to have us amazed at the gospel and the content of the gospel that we preach. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. We're going to really go fast here. So please turn in your Bibles. There's something so therapeutic about turning in our Bibles and, and sharing this together and seeing it together. We're going to Luke. Did I say Matthew? We're going to Luke 24, and here's what Jesus says about the message that he wants us to preach and to teach. We're in Luke, we're in chapter 24, and we're going to start reading at verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses, are martyrs of, this, of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And here we see that Jesus is simply saying, look, this is what I want you to be teaching. This is what I want you to be preaching. That it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be taught to all nations. One of the things that's so important for us to understand is that Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus, he says, according to the scriptures, everything that was written in the books of Moses, everything that was written in the prophets, everything that was written in the Psalms points to this one fact, that Jesus laid down his life for us. It was a matter of his will being in line with the Father's will. And he stepped out of time and into the grave and into eternity because he loved us more than he loved himself. It's the nature of God's love. And he said, if I lay down my life, I have power to what? To take it again. And he stepped from the grave and from eternity back into time by his own power that was invested in him of the Father. He was not a martyr. He was not a victim of a vicious crowd. He laid down his life by his own will. And that manifests to us the level of love that he had and the level of love that he has and is communicated in him calling his disciples to take this message, to share this message. And we see that we want to just look now quickly at the response of the disciples. And, and what, I, what I think I'm going to do is just skip over most of the notes that I have here. I want to encourage you to do this, is to go back and study uh, Jesus and his manifestation 
to his disciples. The way he communicates with disciples, some of them have failed so extremely, so deeply in their commitment to the Lord. But the way, and Paul in 1 Corinthians goes down through that, and I wanted to take time to do some of that, but we won't here this evening. We, we just know that when he met his brother James, which Paul points out, James was his brother, and he didn't believe in, in the Lord Jesus uh, until after the resurrection. And, and to think that Jesus loved his brother so much that he went to him. He sought out Peter, who had betrayed him so deeply. He, another, another one that Paul doesn't mention is Thomas. I just love this, where Jesus comes to the disciples. Remember that? And they're in the upper room. And he, he says, look, you know, I'm not just spirit. I have, I have flesh and I have bone. Touch me. Look, at, I'm here. And then Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says, I'll never believe. I'll never believe unless I can put my finger in his nail prints and thrust my hand up in his side. And then eight days later, they were together again. And Thomas was there. And I, I cry when I read this in the scriptures. And Jesus shows up. And, and they're all like in a state of shock, like, again, this is Jesus for real. And he walks over to Thomas and he says, Thomas, take your fingers, press them into the wounds in my hand. It's me. And take your hand. Go ahead, shove it up in there where the spear pierced me. It's me. It's for real. I've risen from the dead. And Thomas, uh, Blessed are those who believe, even though they have not seen. You're believing because you have seen. But I want to tell you something. More blessed are those who have not seen, who have not had the privilege of touching my wounds, and yet believe. Are you among that crowd tonight? Are you? You're a blessed people. We are a blessed people. We're among those who believe. We haven't seen, but we believe. Just as if, Jesus walked in here tonight. He don't have to do that for us to believe. We believe. We have the strong conviction that what the scripture teaches is right concerning the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Let's go to um, Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts. We're just going to real quickly. We're going to real quickly here. Just look across some scriptures that just help us understand how front and center this truth of the resurrection was in the early church. And we're in Acts chapter 2, and we recognize this is the day of Pentecost. And the Peter is addressing the crowd. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 22. Um, he says, in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, your witnesses to this, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath what? Everyone together. Raised up and loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up whom we all are witnesses. Verse 36, Therefore let the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then we have in chapter 3, we have this beautiful story of Peter and, and 
John going up into the temple and there's this man laying there who's been crippled, unable to walk from the day he was born. He's never walked in his entire life. And they looked upon him and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, by his power, get up. Again, a time when God chose to touch someone's physical body, to demonstrate, to illustrate the power that he has to heal our sin-wounded spirits. He wants to demonstrate that. Which is most important? Healing in our spirits. Sometimes God heals us in our bodies. And people could not believe it. I mean, there's the man. He's standing there. He's been healed. He's walking around. He's, he's, he's just rejoicing in what God has done for him. And people don't want to believe it. In fact, they want to find fault with those who have used the name of Jesus to bring healing to him. They said, the name of Jesus can't do that. Really? It just did. You're witnesses of it, but you don't believe it? That's how hard it is for our hearts to grasp things that we can't wrap our minds around. I want to point out what Peter said. He said to this group of people, he says, look, you are responsible. Here's what you did. You took and you left the Prince of Peace, he says in verse 15. You killed the Prince of Peace whom God raised from the dead. Whereof we are witnesses. And then he goes on to explain what's going on in verse 21. Whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. And then he goes on to explain very clearly that we have a holy and a just God and God cannot tolerate sin and that all sin will be, will be destroyed. You embrace sin, you're, gonna, you're embracing death. You're embracing destruction. Because of God's holiness, he cannot abide sin. And that's what Peter explains here. Verse 26, look at it carefully with me. This is, this is the heart of God. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquities. And what Peter is saying is, look, there's a day coming, there's a judgment coming. And every man, every boy, every, every girl, every woman will stand and give an account before God. And in that day of accounting, there is no tolerance for sin. And because of that, God has given us, offered us mercy. The offers of salvation to us are because of his love for us. He does not want us to come to that day, not having had an opportunity to receive his love and his mercy in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to keep going here a bit in um, verse chapter 4. As we see the, the dialogue continuing, we see this, this emphasis again. Verse 10. Be it known unto all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom he crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you. This is a stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name for there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And in verse 13, we have this beautiful passage that tells us that when they stopped and they considered these men who were so passionate about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they said this, they took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And I believe that in our day, if we stir up our hearts to be passionate about the gospel, the message of the gospel. That becomes the greatest passion of our heart. People would take a note to us 
that we are spending time with Jesus. It's going to so change us. It's going to change our desires. It's going to change our passions. It's going to change our character into his character. Where people are going to say, ah, I wish I had what they had. And we don't even think about it because we're not focused on ourselves. That became real to me this winter. We got a call from our son, and he said, Dad, um, he had made friends with a neighbor there in, in West Virginia, and uh, they're not professing Christians. He made, a friend, made friends with them. This man, they have a home up there, not maybe two, three miles from us, but, but he works in Baltimore and goes down there, and, and, and they spend, I guess they live in Baltimore, they come up here sometimes. But he was in Baltimore, and his wife and family were at their home there, not far from us. It had snowed, and um, we were sitting there in our home one evening, and Brian calls us, our youngest son. He says, Dad, so-and-so called me, said he's been trying all day to get a hold of his wife. He can't get her. Uh, would you mind uh, going over there and seeing what's going on? So my wife and I jumped in the four-wheel drive to get through the snow, and we, we drove in over there, never met these people in our lives before. And here was this woman with her, her child or children. I'm not sure how many were there. And she says, oh, my phone broke on me. That's why my husband can't get me. She's out in the middle of the woods there all by herself. Um, if there was an emergency, she had no way to call. And so we said, well, you need to call your husband here. Use our phone. And then my wife said, well, why don't we just leave our phone with her until she gets hers fixed? And we said, yeah, just, just keep this cell phone. Just use it until you get yours fixed. And she called her husband, and she just like, I can't do that to you. I said, well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, you don't know me. You, how do you trust me? Well, we didn't even think of that. We just want to help you. And she broke down and wept while we were there. She cried. She's like, people don't trust each other like this anymore. You're going to trust me with this phone? Well, yeah, we'll trust you with that phone. That's just, she had it for four or five days. But we just do these things. We don't even think about what we're doing. We just, we just want to be God's servant. We want to help people. And it's a testimony that first and foremost in our lives, God has met our every need. And when our needs are met, then we have resources to help other people with. We have the grace of God flowing through our lives and blessing other people in powerful ways. And the world needs to see that in God's people. Well, we are a people who are rejoicing in God's redemption. And that is first and foremost in our lives. I want to just take you yet to Acts chapter 17. We're missing a lot here. And that's okay. You can, you can discover it on your own. Uh, Acts 17. And we come to this point, this place in, in, at Mars Hill, uh, where Paul is at Mars Hill, and he's waiting for his brother to come. And they bring him, and they bring him to the, uh, the man who organizes these uh, speeches because they spend all their time in trying to figure out what some new thing is they can learn. The Greeks really emphasized knowledge and uh, knowing, and this guy's talking about something different. What was it that caught their attention? They were talking about something that was different. What was it? What was Paul talking about when he was dialoguing with people? Paul was doing like he always did. He was talking to people. And what was first and foremost in Paul's mind? And it tells us here in this passage what he was talking about. There's something he was talking about that really grabbed their attention. What was it? The resurrection. Thank you, brother. It's like, really? Come on now. Let's get this guy up at the podium and let's let him explain this whole thing about the resurrection. And it gave Paul an opportunity to stand before the crowd. 
and to share with them the reality of the resurrection. And I just want to encourage you, uh, we're not going to read it because uh, we don't have time here tonight. But I want to encourage you to read this because what Paul did is he gave for us a powerful um, powerful direction in terms of our witness to the world and how we dialogue with the world. Uh, he says, look, here's the deal. Uh, God created you and me. It's in him that everything moves and has its being. He is that source outside of ourselves that gives us life and that sustains the entire world that we see, that keeps the stars in the sky and brings the sun up every morning and causes the uh, seeds to sprout in the ground in the spring and the harvest to provide for his creation in the fall. God is the source for everything. And he has ordained one man uh, to redeem his creation. I'm just giving you my version. This is, this is my version of it. Okay? So read it for yourself. But it's a, it's, it, what it does for us, it helps us understand the power of the early church. The, their power was that they were passionate about the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everywhere they went, what did they preach? They preached the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is it that can empower us today as we go about meeting people? We, we, we have a society right now that just is filled with fear. I know you noticed this. We have people that are willing to talk. I find people that are willing to talk. And, and they're, they're fear-driven. And so for us to be able to communicate to people and say, what is it that you're fearing? We have nothing to fear. Our faith is in God. Death does not, no longer has a grip on us. Jesus has proved by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection that he has power over death. We don't have to fear death. We can have this confidence, this resurrection confidence. We need to have that restored. I need to have it restored and removed in my heart. And I just have been blessed in the opportunities that God has brought in my way as I've been praying for opportunities to share with people and to give them that message. Um, there's times in my life where I felt that wane. When, when I was younger and uh, first married, first number of years of our marriage, I had a passion to share this message because this message woke me up. And I remember when, when God's grace and mercy became very real to me, I was driving down Route 30, I was heading west on Route 30 towards Chambersburg, and the first stop of my trip was at Large Building Supply. And I was driving along, and the mercy and grace of God just overwhelmed me like a refreshing river. I just couldn't believe that God would so love me that he would send his only begotten son. And I just broke down and I wept. And I pulled in that parking lot, and I sat out there weeping and just thanking God for his grace and his mercy in my life. And then I, I had to get on with my day, but I just just so enjoying the, the, the grace of God. And I tried to make my face look fresh. And I walked into the building and I was there looking at some, gathering some things together. And the store manager, who we were close friends, he walked around the corner and said, Hi, John, how you doing? And I looked up at him. He said, John, what's wrong? I said, Greg, it's not about what's wrong, it's about what's right. I was just thinking about what Jesus done for me. And I, and I got over, overwhelmed with it. I don't think we live that way. We don't look for those experiences. But we need those moments. 
it was one of my motivations to, to start sharing Christ with people in Chambersburg. And I would go in there and I would walk the streets. And I would just ask people, have you thought about the judgment day? Very few people want to talk about it. I'd offer them a track. But have you thought about the judgment day? There's a remedy. There's a way that you can face the judgment day without fear. And one night I was in there and I walked up to this one young man and I asked him a question like something like that. And he said, yeah, I've thought about it and I'm not ready. And so I said, would you like to be ready? He said, I want to be ready. And that began about a two-year discipleship uh, course that had more disappointments than uh, mountaintop experiences for sure. And it cost a lot of money. It took a lot of time. And today uh, in uh, South Carolina, there's a man who's my age who for the last 24 years has been walking with Jesus. Not because of me, because somewhere along the way in our communication, he got a vision of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it could do in his life. And today he can't stop talking about the drugs that he was delivered from, the sick arrest that he was delivered from, the immoral life that he was delivered from. Today he just tells everybody that he meets, Jesus did a work in my life, he saved me. He's experiencing that power in his life. And I think that many times the reason we str- that I struggle, that we struggle as God's people, is we, we just become so um, focused on our world, on our plans. The, the reality of our redemption becomes something that's like it's a doctrinal fact in our lives. And it is a doctrinal fact. It's a doctrinal truth. But it has to be so much more than that. It has to be a reality that touches us deep in our hearts, that is changing us, that is helping us to see the heart of our Father and the heart of Jesus, his love for us, and the gratitude that it rightfully demands from us. As we seek to grow in that, he just continues to shower his blessings of grace upon us. And these things become more and more precious to us. And it's not like we go out, it's not like revival causes a new flurry of activity in our lives. We don't come up with new programs. It's just we walk closer with Jesus. And as a result of walking closely with Jesus, those are the things that we talk about. And we talk about the things that, are, that we're passionate about. And as we talk about them, guess what happens? What happens when you share your faith? Faith cometh by hearing, Right? Is it possible that through your own witness, your faith can grow? Is that possible? Yeah, it is. And so what happens is if we sometimes step out of our comfort zone and we start talking about Jesus and what his resurrection means for us, it strengthens our own love for Jesus and what his resurrection means to us. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. So sometimes a step in revival just simply looks like starting to talk to other people about what Jesus has actually done for us. It's not some big emotional experience. It is just, let me tell you how Jesus has saved me. Let me tell you how he's working in my heart today. Let me tell you how he has taught me to rest in his grace.
cease the striving and enter into that grace. I've held you over time. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. Let's stand together. Thank you, Father. There's times there's just not words to say thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you know that we're but dust. Help us to take ownership of our passions. Give each one of us here tonight the humility to, by your grace, purpose to choose to be passionate about the miracle that you worked in our hearts when we by faith received the Lord Jesus. Help us to marvel again in a new and a fresh way that you so loved us that you gave, you gave everything. You gave what you love most. Help us, Father, to understand that love is to pour oneself out completely to the object that is being loved, regardless of the response. And Father, I just pray that you would help us as a people who have sought to come to know in a more deep and fuller way the love that you've expressed towards us. Help us to express our gratitude by putting words to our faith and putting words to our love for you. Help us to be a salt and a light in this our day. Help us to be sensitive to those around us, especially those who have not heard the message or those who have not experienced the power of the message. And give us opportunity. I pray for each brother and for each sister here this evening. And I ask, Father, that you would uh, give them opportunity throughout their days here on earth, uh, starting now, to share their faith and their love for you with the lost and dying world. We, we desire... We want our desire to be in line with your desire that not one soul would ever come to the judgment seat and say, I did not know. Stir within our hearts a revived faith and dependence upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.